Salutations, listeners. Thank you for tuning in. This is Three Men and a Basement, and we are the Ultra Crepidarians. My name is Colin McLeod. Mark Alpier. Action Jackson. And in this podcast, we like to review movies, allegedly. And can't we, prove it. What? No, you can't prove it. It's like a, some type of very complicated physics experiment. Aren't we literally creating the proof right now? The proof is in the pudding. I, I do not see any pudding. Are we, and are now we I would pudding? like some. Are we eating pudding? What kind of pudding? Oh, oh put that is. away! I don't know if I'm going to leave that in the podcast. Leave it in. In this podcast, we review movies and deliver to you, the listener, an average schmuck's opinion about hidden gems in the wide world of cinema. In this podcast, we try and target movies that are not total blockbuster smashes. We also aim for ones that are not so obscure that you couldn't get your hands on a copy even if you wanted to. Instead, we aim for that delightful sweet spot right in the middle. Movies that are, let's say, accessible. Familiar adjacent? You can yeah. find it at your local library if you looked hard enough. Yeah. I mean, you can find a lot at your local mm, library. Yeah. Because we love libraries on the show, don't we, Mark? We love libraries. All the dictionaries. All <laughs> of them. Even the encyclopedia. All the books? Yes. All right. So we deliver to you our opinion about whether or not these movies are worth tracking down, finding at your local library, popping in your phonograph or mm. 8mm projector, perhaps. I prefer 35. Oh, yeah, cranking up that steam engine and getting the things moving. I don't get out of bed for less than 36. Yeah. And um, seeing if it's worth your time watching them. In this, the 39th Fuck. episode Whoa. of the podcast, we review the movie... Loser. Loser. That was organic. That just, was like, beautiful. It came yeah, out. I'm happened. really happy. Like yeah. we all lived through the '90s, <laughs> and we just took a piece of the '90s out of ourselves, transplanted into the microphone. I do that quite often. I, I had a hint of Jim Carrey in mind. The who, the hair. You did. You put that flavor on it. But yeah. again, it still fit. '90s, right? right? Like it's perfectly mm-hmm. appropriate. I was going for more of a, an Avril Lavigne vibe. Ooh. I was going for. Damn it, I don't have a... a Spice Girls. Spice Girls! Didn't have a reference there. Pinky Spice. We we also would have accepted Dixie Chick. I was was Loser Spice. (laughs) So we reviewed Loser this week. Guys, who's seen this movie? Uh, I have never seen it. Uh, Not, 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 not I. I've seen this movie so many fucking times, it's crazy. (laughs) I... This movie was like a childhood favorite of mine i grew up with it it's a very like low investment movie for me i can have it on the background i know almost every line you know those movies mm-hmm. where you get home from the bar not that i drink at a bar because what am i fucking elon musk here right. no i'm just, you're done drinking at home drowning your sorrows yep boons and <laughs> a bottle of boons farm in one hand a bottle of manchevitz in the other oh yeah and you are you're questioning your life's decisions and you're like well my eyeballs need to do something too put down the malort walk away from the ginger beer what do you do you go and you put on the movie loser which is a delight let's say yes allegedly allegedly 2000 movie came out in the year 2000 y2k guys come on right I mean, I was there. The new, was, the new I millennium. Was also there. The new millennium. I was concerned my calculator was going to blow up. Mark has calculated concerns. Mm, um, but I'm Rated PG thirteen. Yeah. 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 Square in the five out of ten on yep. PG thirteen. Square in the middle. I think we had a single F bomb, but that's the worst of it. That, yeah, and that's that, a, that's PG thirteen, right? It's yep. like the, you're that allowed is the one F bomb. One hour and thirty eight minutes. I think it yeah. actually. I think it went faster than that. I feel like I felt like this one was a tight ninety. Yeah, I uh, yeah yes, but that only shaves 
eight minutes. I would say probably even more than that. I would say this movie was maybe an hour 20, hour 15. And I'm, I'm glad it wasn't it longer. This movie didn't need to be any longer. No. I, I felt it like it, it hit the money spot, you know, in, in terms of, of runtime. Genres, what do we got? Rom-com! Yeah, what is the IMDb just says romance comedy? Yep. Yeah, they don't have a rom-com category. So it's comedy romance. But it's it's a rom-com. But yeah, I mean, I, I would... I don't even know if I... Hmm... This felt like like it was comedy and it was romance. I don't know. When, when I think rom-com, I think movies like Sleepless in Seattle or Fools Rush In. This felt more like heavier. Or Fools Rush Into Seattle. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. While you were sleeping in Seattle. Ah. While you were sleeping? This, this movie sounds like a war movie. Yeah. Rush into Seattle while they're sleeping. Right. <laughs> but- Kill them in their sleep. Slit their throats. <laughs> Take Seattle at all costs. <laughs> it wouldn't take much. You just gotta wake them up. Uh, but <laughs> They're in their fortress. Quick, light a joint and just leave it outside. They'll come out of their own accord. <laughs> if you light it, they will come. <laughs> That's true. But would you... Uh, what do you guys think of that? Like, I, I feel like comedy I, and romance are separate elements in this movie. It's so clearly... You know, I disagree, but I do understand what you're saying and I do see your point. But where I disagree is that this had distinct flavors of other classic rom-coms such as serendipity you've got mail this definitely had all of the same ingredients maybe mixed a little differently you know there was a lot of before we get into spoilers territory i think that this fits squarely into the definition of rom-com fair i'm gonna side with jackson on this one i i think this is squarely a rom-com and i think there are subjective reasons why a casual viewer might like mark said not think it's a rom-com or not think it fits that formula perfectly and i'll get into them a little bit more in spoilers but i do think that subjectively it might feel like it deviates slightly from rom-com objectively i don't think you could make an argument that would make this not a rom-com because it, it does fit the formula and i, I would also just kind of add to it and i don't want to like belabor the, the genres but like were this movie to come out today it might even flirt with like the raunch-com genre yeah you know uh, I, I think that back in, in 2000, when this this movie had come out, the bits, the, the comedy... Well, I mean, we, we found different things funny back then. Yeah. You know, and... It was quirky. Yeah. There was quirk to it. Yep, it was goofy. I feel like I feel like quirk has sort of disappeared. Anybody else feel like quirk is, like, just not a thing anymore? Isn't quirk the dude with the ears? Star Trek? <laughs> I haven't seen him in a long time. I think that show's canceled. Is it? Quirk has probably disappeared. Mm, maybe. Corks just come in and out of existence all the time. I mean, they're always popping out. Sometimes you try to pop them in, but they don't go back in. Yeah. Corks are corks, man. Corks are pork. Ooh, I'm going pork over cork. Oh, he's pork and cork. But are we cork and pork? (laughs) That's the (laughs) sex thing. Yeah. (laughs) Jeez. Filthy mind over here. Okay. Uh, Okay, so who directed this movie? Actually, I'm going to give this one. Amy Heckerling. Okay, what else did Amy do? She directed Clueless. Yeah. Uh, she did a lot of television, a couple episodes of The Office, Gossip Girl, Vamps. Look Who's Talking, Look Who's Talking 2. Oh, shit. National Lampoon's European Vacation. Fast Times. Fast Times of Richmond High, no way. Yeah. Holy shit. Wow, she's a heavy hitter. I'd never heard her name before, but the reason I wanted to call it out was she was both the writer and director on this movie, and we've talked about this before, but there's something about when the same person writes and directs that has a tendency to make a movie so fucking seamless. Yeah. Right? It just... It flows so much nicer when the person who had the vision on the page has the vision through the lens. And there's and nothing gets lost in translation or interpretation. Right. There's no creative differences. There's no 
The writer's uh, not sitting there going like, I envisioned it like this, and yeah. you're not doing that. And the director and now says, it doesn't work. well, that's not flashy enough. Right, right. Michael Bay. We're coming for you, Michael Bay. There's no explosions and no titties, but there's no problem with that because she's the boss, and she said so. Michael Bay's that dude from Mystery Men, right? Yes. Yeah. He was in that room. He was the frat boy. He gotcha. was one of the frat boys. Gotcha. That I, I thought I'd recognize that yeah. name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe he also has a Morton Doe. Allegedly. Ale- oh, that's alleged? Alleged. Oh, God. There's no proof of that. I think we're going to have to send Mike Tyson to figure this out. Yeah. yeah. So who was in this movie? I don't think uh, our listeners maybe even know any of the people that are in this movie. So... Sarcasm. Hashtag sarcasm. Facetious. Hashtag so hashtag. this is like one of my go-to Jason Biggs movies. Like, everybody knows Jason Biggs from... He, he's the main character in American Pie. They even poked fun of that in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. He's like, you're just a pie fucker. He's like, nobody ever says, like, hey, great job and, you know, this and that and blah, blah, blah. You're just always the pie fucker. <laughs> he, he's such a good actor. And my go-tos for him... Yeah, American Pie, sure. But really, this and Saving Silverman were two that I, I really sort of grew up I on. I love Saving Silverman. And, and I mean, Jason Biggs just fucking nails all of these roles. Yes. Um, even though he is, you know, many of them are kind of similar, right? Right. I wouldn't call him a one-trick pony. I think he's a good actor. I think he just kind of got typecast there for a little bit. A couple trick ponies. It's like, yeah, a couple trick ponies. <laughs> yeah. You know, he plays, the, he plays that sort of angsty, meek guy really well. In the same way that, like, I would say Jason Biggs was perhaps the Michael Sarah of his day. Right. But both of them have demonstrated that they can do more than what they've been cast to do. So the next one on the list, Mina Suvari. Oh, uh, Mina Suvari. You might oh. not You might not be intimately familiar with her, but you definitely know her. She was Heather in American Pie. <laughs> if if you were attracted to women and had at least one sexual thought by the year 2000, you know who Mina Suvari is. Yep. And when I say Mina Savari, you're going to go, oh. Yeah. She's a pretty lady. <laughs> She's just a pretty lady. With full Very nice. Yeah. Um, but she does have that, like, we, we mentioned it, like, in the beginning. Like, she's got that, like, you know, there's, like, different, like, different decades have, like, different, like. Like, Twiggy is 60s hot. She's got, like, n- she's 90s hot. She's 90s she's hot. She's 90s hot. And being a collection of millennials here. Oh, fuck. Know, she's so 90s I, hot. I blame the 90s for creating unrealistic beauty standards because I have never once found my manic pixie dream girl. This is being recorded and your wife might listen to this. She won't. <laughs> But your mother-in-law He's so, might. He's so confident. He's so confident. No, you know, you know. Okay, so there's like a bunch of different elements to this. In this movie, she's basically if like a less perpetually disgusted Daria walked into real life. She was kind of that. She's like a goth Meg Ryan. It's but like, like, like an Avril but she's not like goth goth. She's like she's like '90s like grunge goth. Yeah. Which is not the like it's that's not, not pure same. goth. They're not a, they're not pure red. It's a different flavor. Yeah. Okay, so there's a lot of different elements that make her super hot. She's got like the plaid skirt and like the sort of like pumped Mary Janes and all this stuff. But like what really got always gets me. Fl- like just no questions asked always gets me is like the two like strands or pieces of hair oh. on either side of the head that are like down in the face. There's nothing that will not make that hot to me. For the, for the rest of my days, that will be the hottest I thing. I believe they so call... So dumb. I believe they call that a peekaboo bang. I don't know what it's called, but it's so dumb how flawlessly that works on me. And, and there's something about it because not only is it very pleasing to look at, but then there's also the fun little tease of pulling it behind the Ugh. ear. Yeah, but maybe yep. we dissect, why is it pleasing to look at? 
because what is we, it? What is what is the because intangible? we were reaching sexual maturity when it was the most popular haircut amongst the angsty teenage girls that we were into. That's that's <laughs> what it is. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. All right, who else is in this? Okay, so Zach Orth. A lot of people will know his face. He was in Wet Hot American Summer. He played JJ in Wet Hot American Summer. He was also in Romeo and Juliet. There's also Thomas Sadowski. Sadowski? Sadowski? He's been in things. He was in John Wick. He's in a couple of other movies that you'd probably recognize. I know him from Life in Pieces. Yes, he was in Life in Pieces. You know, people might know the next one, Jimmy Simpson. Jimmy I, Simpson. I would not have been able to pull out his name. He doesn't right. have name recognition for me. But his face. Yeah. Yes, he's in a bunch of, he's in a bunch of stuff as Always a bit actor. Sunny. Always sunny. He plays one of the McPoyles. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. what it is. Yes. That's that's, that's Wait, one of the I, we should specify because there's a lot of McPoyles. Liam. One Liam McPoyle. One of the McPoyle twins. Yes. That have a, let's say a complicated relationship. Yeah, he was also in HBO's Westworld. Uh, the reboot. Oh, yeah, he was. Yep, yep, yep. He's a really talented actor. So this next guy, I don't think anybody's ever actually heard him, so I'm going to shed some light and give him some exposure. Uh, Greg Kinnear? I think it's pronounced Kynar. 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 Oh, shit, yeah. I thought it was like a French, like Kinnier. Kinnier. Oh, 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 that makes sense. Oh, that is yeah. probably how he would pronounce it. Oh, he's French-Canadian, probably. Oh, that, 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 yeah. Um... Uh, Greg Kinnear, you know him from Mystery Men, As Good As It Gets, Sabrina, You've Got Mail, which I've already mentioned. Little Miss Sunshine, too. Little Miss Sunshine, oh my God, yeah. He plays the father in Little Miss Sunshine. Mm-hmm. He's a Flash of Genius. He's the main character in Flash of Genius, which is on our list to review. So, um, keeping with the theme of, like, kind of underrated, nobody's probably heard of these actors, uh, Dan Aykroyd. Oh, I thought it was Aykroyd. Oh, it might be. It might be. Could be. Could, yeah. be, could be that long like vowel acorn, sound. Acorn, acroid. Yeah. Didn't he used to like hunt spirits or something? Yeah. No, he was he was the the vodka guy. Oh, <laughs> he was the yeah. vodka guy. That's how people know him. Yep. Yeah. This movie, I honestly don't know what it is. It may be because I mean, it could be because Amy Heckerling, the writer director, was like kind of a heavy hitter. She may have made a lot of friends, maybe in Hollywood. I know this happens sometimes, but like the cameo cast on this was. Fucking it was outstanding. Ridiculous. So I'm just going to rapid fire through these. Yeah. You know, if that's all right, just so we don't, because there's so many. But you got Dan Aykroyd. Everybody, you know, Ghostbusters. Everybody knows Dan Aykroyd. Oh, yeah. David Spade of Tommy Boy fame mm-hmm. and Black Sheep, Joe Dirt. You've got Stephen Wright, who, again, fans of comedy in the 90s. Stephen Wright had this really, like, just amazing sort of dry delivery um, he also, if you, you're familiar with Guy on the Couch and Half Baked, he was Guy on Couch. Mm-hmm. Um, Andy Dick, you he, know, who... He plays another city worker. Yep. And he's the worst in real life. Oh, and absolutely. In this movie. Yeah. And in this movie. Yeah. I actually heard a great story about, like, I guess John Lovitz beat the shit out of Andy Dick one time. Good. Why am I and, not surprised? And John Lovitz, by all accounts, even though he plays, like, the worst characters, like... Apparently, he's just the nicest guy. Yeah. And um, I won't go into too much detail from what I heard, but basically it amounted to Andy Dick pressured Phil Hartman's wife into doing drugs with him, which destabilized her after she was sober and then caused her to sort of snap and then ultimately kill Phil Hartman. And then Andy Dick was bragging about it in a club later on. And John Lovitz, who was... Phil Hartman's very close friend overheard him like bragging about this and beat the shit out of him. I um, would too. And honestly. I I feel like that is completely justified. Yeah. Well, his name is Andy Dick. Yeah, uh, he kind of lives up to that. Last name on the list for me, Andrea Martin. Name is not recognizable to me, but she played Aunt Vula 
in Big Fat Greek Wedding. Mm. Oh my God, she's so good. And she's also, for those of you who are fans of Only Murders in the Building. Oh, yes. She's in that. She plays Steve Martin's love interest coming out of season two and into season three. Yes. And then there's also uh, Twink Kaplan, who I always remember as Miss Geyser, Geiger, something like that, Geiger, from Clueless, when they try to hook up two teachers. One of them is Sean Vicini. Oh, yeah. Sean... uh... Sean Wallace. Uh, Wallace Wallace Sean. There it is, Wallace Sean. And one of them is uh, Twink Kaplan. Miss Geist. That's what it is, Miss Geist. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, we could go on. There's probably more, uh, I guarantee cameo- there's more. cameos in this, but uh, let's move on. What is our IMDb summary? How the fuck did we knock out the summary yet? Well, Man, we'll, we'll just, we got to lead with that, right? There's a lot going on here. Um, but if you guys don't mind, might no, jump in. go here? for it. Uh, so, Do not <clears throat> A college student, branded a loser by his roommates and booted from the dorm, falls in love with a co-ed who has eyes for their condescending professor. <gasps> That is just, that's it. That's the nuts and bolts. I, I feel like I underestimated people's ability to, like, summarize, because I'm not very good at it. Mm-hmm. I feel like I could not have summarized this movie in, like, one line, and that was fucking Yeah, no, it. that was it. It didn't give away the Nothing else potatoes, in there. <laughs> you know? Um... No, I, so would we uh, would we recommend this, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this, uh, thing? Yep. Uh, affirmative. Yeah. Yeah, it's of its time, and I feel like I say that every week. Uh, you know, Jesus, you're so bad but for that. It's of its time. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was fun. It was. Well, we'll go into why I enjoyed it. In spoilers. Spoilers. So, are you saying we're ready to? Well, I'm prepped. I went full teenage boy at the end there. It's all right. That's all right. No, it cracked. Listen, your voice did exactly what your voice was doing when this movie came out. Yeah. Which was that. Yeah. <laughs> That's about right. Yep, yep, yep. Just changing octaves because fucking why not? Yeah. <laughs> it uh, keeps things interesting. Why pick one? <laughs> Good point. So many to choose from. Yeah. Uh, okay, so. How's, uh, how's it open? We're in spoilers now. So the movie opens with Jason Biggs' character, Paul and his entire family standing by the mailbox waiting for the postman. Oh, yeah, uh, that jumps right in. For his mm-hmm. college acceptance letter. And he got the big envelope, which means, yay, college! And they have this massive party at their house with seemingly everybody they know. Not massive by objective standards. No, but massive but for massive, a small town rural community. Massive of for like, you know, Clearwater, Minnesota, yeah. where, you know. Well, people were close enough that I got uncomfortable. You know, people were, like, hopping over each other to dance in, like... It It was a classic 90s party, but with grandmas and grandpas. Yeah, like, it was a close family. Like, everyone was within, you know, 24 inches of each other. And presumably one of his younger cousins grabs him and is like, come dance with me! And then the dance floor is in front of the refrigerator. Right, right. Because... They have a small house. Yes. This was not a COVID-safe party. No. And you get the sense when he's dancing with his cousins. It's your first introduction that, like, he is clearly the loser here. He's supposed to be graduating from high school, and, like, he doesn't know how to dance. He's learning these moves from his cousins. And he's not learning the moves in the kind of, like, I just straight up don't know how to dance kind of way, but in these sort of, like, awkward... I'm really bad at this I'm kind of way. I'm really, really bad at this. It was fucking exactly. like, it was so wholesome though. Like the first like couple of scenes when he's at home, it was wholesome. You know, the lessons he's getting from his dad, the way he hugged his sister or, or whatever. Like it felt very, you know, comfortable. It was close. It was warm. 
but we'll come to learn close and comfortable and warm in the wrong context can also mean naive. Yes. And that's kind of what happens, right? So he moves to New York City. Uh, they don't say where he's going, but you kind of get the vibe. It might be NYU. Yeah. Um, you know, a reasonably competitive school in downtown New York. And he is in the dorms. He gets placed with these three guys who all seem to know each other, which is like a little inexplicable, but they all sort of like already know each other and they vibe in the worst way. Yeah. Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not their names, but that's like the vibe. Like they shit, were shit and shitty. Yeah, they yep. were. <laughs> <laughs> These dudes are just the fucking worst. Oh, and there's absolutely. like certain obvious issues with their behavior throughout the movie, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But they are like villainous, even from like a sort of late '90s, early 2000s standpoint. Yeah, they. I mean, they were frat bros more or less, but like, like yeah, they they were not good. All no. three of them were a waste of an acceptance letter. <laughs> yeah. Openly manipulative, extremely shallow, deceitful, rapey, immoral, exceedingly rapey. But in that like weird, like, I don't acknowledge what I'm doing is like assault. Right. And I think like that's why you got to give this movie props is like feel like it's the kind of thing that was like at the time jokier back then. And I feel like this movie didn't make a jokey at all. No. And it really took a stance on it. And I appreciate this movie for that. Is like, these dudes are not confused or stupid. They're predators. Um, 100%. And and they're predators in like a bunch of different ways. In the obvious way. But also in like, they're preying on Paul and taking advantage of him and using and abusing him. They're just really shitty people. Yep. Um, so he gets placed with these guys. And he is on a scholarship. He's trying his best to maintain a certain GPA so he doesn't lose a scholarship meanwhile they are partying wrecking everything breaking all of his shit gluing his books together but it was a joke man yeah i thought it, i thought you i thought it'd be funny I thought you'd laugh but what's interesting is that like they were assholes to him and, and he just kept taking it and there's like a scene where like he like buys a six-pack beer and he brings it because he wants their acceptance and in that same moment he realizes that they have kicked him out of the room they've worked to have him removed because he's too much of a loser for them even though he's doing everything he can to, to be one of them under like not only false pretenses but like the exact opposite they basically accuse him of everything that they are guilty of in order to get him kicked out of the dorm and in order to ingratiate himself and not cause problems he's like yeah i did all those things absolutely i'm a horrible person you should kick me out well, also because he wanted to get the fuck away from them. Yep. And didn't want to deal with any, like, you know, lingering, oh, I have to go through this dog and pony show of, like, oh, I'm trying really hard, and then it doesn't work out. Like, just, I'll admit to all this bullshit and get me the fuck out of here. Yep. Yeah. Where does he go? He goes to the vet. Like, the weirdest vet clinic ever. Yeah. Like, I, I just... Wouldn't you? Maybe this is a thing. I've just never heard of it. But, like, it's a vet that has, like, an office that they've rented out presumably to like people who are going to like veterinary school and are looking to just kind of like puff up their resumes like i, I spent some time volunteering at the pound but yeah it's never like called out specifically but like you get the idea that like he can stay there provided he cares for the animals you know while he's there the fact that they didn't spend a lot more time explaining it i feel like suggests this might actually be like a common thing in big cities new york that kind of thing like it might be that just quite simply I've got an extra room and it doesn't matter if I'm like a vet or a mortician or a grocery store. Like I can legally rent out that room and like get an extra little bit of money. Right. 
Yeah. So he's living at the vet, caring for the animals. He meets Dora. Dora in class. There's a funny bit where he's like falling down the stairs when he like first enters that class and the teacher, Greg Kinnear, what's his character's name? Professor Alcott. Alcott, yeah. Douchebag. Publicly humiliates him when he falls down the stairs, but the girl he sits next to, Dora, seems to actually care that he fell and hurt himself. And that's like the beginning of his like little weird... It's almost like obsessive in the beginning because everyone to this point has just treated him like shit. And she's the first person that actually cares about his well-being. Well, she did do that nice sort of like introduction. Hola, soy Dora. Right. Can you say biblioteca? You know, and you're kind of like, mm-hmm. okay, well, you know, the yeah, libraries are good. You know, we've already established that earlier yeah. in the, this episode. Well, and when swiper. people are trying to steal his stuff, she goes, you've got to say swiper, no swiping. The whole class joined in. Swiper, yep. no swiping. You know, it was a big, it was a big thing. Yeah, some of that's true. <laughs> um, yeah, but there, like you said, she was the first ni- person to do anything nice. And that is not only illustrated by his relationship with the really shitty roommates he had, but also there was like a genuine montage of people just treating him like shit and ignoring him and snubbing him and doing like it's actually kind of hard to watch to yeah, be honest he's like, like trying to introduce really, himself and people just walk away and he's like really oh, upsetting hey, we're in the same <laughs> class and the guy's like eh, and then just gets up and like moves mm-hmm. so yeah everyone's been really cold and standoffish and just downright shitty so the first person that's nice to him of course he's gonna latch on mm-hmm. the fact that she happens to be a super hot girl i'm sure had no bearing on his yeah decision. I, don't, I don't like that, no. that factor in at all no. No. unrelated so he sees her in the wild, as one does. Mm-hmm. And after he had that experience with her in the classroom, he noticed that she had Everclear stickers all over her binder. Because, you know, this was in the year 2000, probably shot in 98, 99. Binders were a thing. Yep. And he decides he's going to purchase some Everclear tickets and try to like, casually invite her to go. I would have gone if he'd asked me. Mm-hmm. Yes. One thing that I think it's important to slide in there, though, before we jump into the that bit, and I forget how the story kind of plays it out, but we're made aware that Dora is in a relationship with that professor. Yeah, they All sort time. of cut away to it really fast. Like, he chastises her in the classroom, and then it cuts to a scene of her in his apartment, and him basically saying, hey, you know, this is a secret for a reason, and she's like, I don't understand why we have to be, you know, shameful about it. And so that's when you're like, oh, he's dating a student. Because I, th- I think that, does he know this when he invites her to the Everclear concert, or? No. No, but, he, but we know this. But yes. we know this, correct. Yeah. yeah, you're correct. So he invites her to the Everclear concert. She says she's got some interviews to do. One of the issues that they're both struggling with pretty consistently throughout this movie is a lack of funds. So he is on a very tight scholarship. I don't think his, his parents don't have a lot of money, so he's doing it all by himself. And she's working for tips at a strip club and just not getting it. Yeah, she's like, she's working as like a serving girl at a strip club across town and just cannot make enough to support herself to get a place get tuition all that stuff and she's got to leave early because she's got to take the six train back to her mom's house yes 11.50 at 11.50 which in strip club time that's like it's like five. that's right when the money is walking in the yeah door. that's that is um you don't shut down at 11.50 no so yeah, he invites her to this concert. She is going on several job interviews and tells him, well, maybe I'll just meet you there. And in the meantime, the shitty roommates reappeared and pretended that it was all part of this grand plan that they kicked him out of the dorm. Basically, somebody in the dorm OD'd, and so they were checking bags on the way in so they could no longer party in the dorm. Well, now 
Paul is outside of the dorm in this vet clinic and they were like, well, hey, we can just pretend that we had a plan all along and use him for a place to party. And so they do that and he falls for it again because he's he's starting to catch on and he agrees, I think, because he, he wants to believe. He's, he's small town naive, but he has been burned enough times to know that these guys are up to no good. So he's kind of sort of like giving them one last shot but unfortunately, it's the same night as the concert, so he's not actually physically present to monitor how out of control the party gets, and Dora, Mina Savari's character, meets one of the shitty roommates at a liquor store. He brings her back there. Somebody, one of the shitty roommates, slips her a roofie, and she, like, almost ODs. Jason Biggs' character, Paul, spends the entire concert alone, which is super depressing. Mm. And gets beer spilled on him, and, you know, gets bumped around by the people jumping through the music and stuff. I mean, he was hoping to get bumped around. Yeah, just not by some sweaty guy. Not by sweaty guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, probably best case scenario, she ended up just kind of camping out of the toilet at the vet, given the people that she was around at that time so like like it said, was the best case scenario of a worst case scenario yeah. she got yeah. she got roofied and basically and was experiencing an od and everyone was like ah well she can't move so the party just like left yeah she was just like passed out by the toilet he came home found her there was obviously super disappointed initially he's like oh my date who's supposed to meet me at the concert is at my apartment, passed out, presumably drunk. In my bathroom. And she was not waking up, so he took her to the hospital. Yep. And that's when we discover, or well, that's, I, I should say, that's when Paul discovers that she is in a relationship with Professor Alcott. Because after the doctor comes out, he says, well, you know, are you family? Are you, like, what, how do you, how do you know her? And he's like, I just found her. And he says, well, her emergency contact, Professor Alcott, says he doesn't know her. So we need to, we need to know what to do with her. And he's like, well, that's okay. I'll take her back to my place. She's my girlfriend. And he's like, uh, I thought you said you just found her. And he goes, yeah, well, I did. And boy, was I mad. And the, and boy, was I mad. And then the doctor was like, all right, whatever. And uh, gives him the pills that she's supposed to take, gives him the discharge paperwork, and says, you know, have a good one. Hashtag city hospitals. Yeah. Too busy to care. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I can't deal with this. I have a gunshot victim. I'm going to discharge this extremely vulnerable and unconscious young woman into the care of somebody who is clearly not a family member or close relation. This barely legal college co-ed who has very clearly been taken advantage of, manipulated, and possibly worse into the care of some also barely legal co-ed with no moral standing to be established. A known unknown. Yeah. Um, okay, so he ends up taking her back to his place, sets her up in his closet room. Um, in his kennel. Yeah. Yep. Um, <laughs> that's what it was. How long are they there? They they mentioned it's like a stretch of time. Several days, uh, because she wakes up and she says, oh my gosh, how long have I been asleep? He says, oh, only since Friday. Yeah, yeah, and he says, are you hungry? I'm hungry. I just ate this morning. You haven't eaten in days. So right. presumably it's either Sunday or Monday and she's missed the entire weekend. Right. Right. Um, but that's kind of like the beginning of their relationship. You know, I think that yeah. she was interested in the, in the concert. He accepted it because she likes Everclear. But this is the first time that she's like noticing that he actually cares about her. And he's like a nice guy. And that's the common thing, too, is because this is also, I wouldn't say the first time, but it's the first time on screen that she has experienced genuine human kindness with no ulterior motive. Yeah. Because 
Her boyfriend treats her like shit. Her boss treats her like shit. Her boss fired her because she wasn't making enough money for the club. And her mom doesn't seem to care a whole lot. I would push back there. I think her mom does care. She keeps her mom in the dark so her mom doesn't remove her from school. Mm. Or, like her mom cares or so goes much that into she... bankruptcy to help her. That, okay. That... She does say she wants to buy her mom a dishwasher, which means her mom doesn't have a whole lot of money. Right. But she's clearly trying to, like, tone down her mom's anxiety yeah. because she doesn't want her spending her money because she, like, you know, she, like, made up that whole thing about sleeping in the girl's dorm when she actually was sleeping yeah, in Grand earlier, Central. Yeah, earlier in the movie, there's a short scene where she misses the last train and she sleeps in Grand Central but she calls her mom so her mom doesn't worry. And she hires a homeless person to play, you know, the doorman for the girl's dorm. But, yeah, so I see what you're saying. Her mom cares so much that it would be... She cuts her out of her life. Yeah. And her mom would potentially hurt herself if she knew what dire straits her daughter was in, right? Mm -hmm. My mom doesn't have two pennies to rub together. If I tell her I missed the last train, she'll probably call me a taxi and my mom will fork over $55 that she doesn't have. Or worse, she'll borrow a car from somebody to come get me herself. Right, right, right. But but either way, she's kind of estranged, you know, through her own... Just through life circumstance. So, let's see. Where are we at now? Well, Um, she's passed out in his bed. She wakes up up and like you said this is sort of the beginning of their relationship yeah they're talking and flirting he's flirting and he does at that point go and talk to professor alcott and kind of confronts him about this um the shitty roommates get wind that she's in there and that professor alcott was on her emergency contact list and they put two and two together which paul is too naive to do they go and leverage that information into a's in this european literature class and paul goes and confronts him what the professor presumes is yet another shakedown um is actually um paul expressing concern and then in a sort of sweet but also naive gesture keeps up the charade that professor alcott really cares about her and brings her flowers you know with his name on them and stuff like that that he forged yeah not the brightest move on paul's part but again it's trying to illustrate that he's the nice guy he cares more about her feelings Mm -hmm. than he does about making a move yeah and at this point he doesn't seem to realize that alcott is a piece of shit I think he's, like, getting the evidence, but he hasn't, like, really put it together yet that, like, Alcott is toxic for Dora. It's like the X-Files. He wants to believe yeah. that yeah. Alcott's a good person. He's... he's Despite sur- all evidence to the contrary. I was to say, he's <laughs> collecting a mountain of evidence to the contrary, but still in his heart of hearts is like, no, this has got to be a coincidence. This mm-hmm. has got to be... You know, an isolated incident. He can't be like this all the time. There's a reason that she's with him. Yeah. So she stays with him the next couple of days and he kind of takes care of her. In a totally platonic way. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they just have like a good time together. So I'm going to take a little aside here and go back to our earlier conversation about rom-coms. Yes. Um, so the reason I would say this is a classic rom-com is the the classic rom-com is couple gets together, they have happy times, there is a break, and then a reconnection. Is like the standard sort of formula of rom-com. I think the two things that would subjectively make this feel like not a rom-com is the two of them don't get romantically together prior to the break which feels foreign to people watching expecting a rom-com the other thing is 
typically the formula is reversed. It's usually the guy that fucks up and estranges the relationship and then has to like win back the girl. Mm -hmm. In this scenario, I would say the girl fucks up a little bit more, even though she was like, you know, definitely manipulated and abused. Her character is innocent the whole time. Is innocent, but at the same time, she's less naive than Paul. Right. He is cast as the babe in the woods. She is the sort of like gritty person who has her wits about her and she should know better kind of thing and she has to sort of win him back in the end i'm gonna read this and then i might cut it out later but it reminds me a little bit of the girl with glasses trope oh i think i know yeah so she's not in this scenario was a little confusing to like the modern viewer is she's not the girl with glasses he's the girl with glasses Mm -hmm. he is the like babe in the woods who is actually i mean jason biggs especially at this point you know he's a very attractive guy in my opinion especially by 90 standards Mm -hmm. and you know just because he's got like slightly greasy hair and like a little bit of a weird haircut right up there with freddie prince jr he's kind of in that ballpark and he wears a funny hat and then suddenly he doesn't wear a funny hat anymore and he's like suddenly attractive right that's the girl with glasses trope and i'm just gonna read this this is um isaac asimov talking about the girl with glasses trope from 1955 i did not realize this trope is quite so old the cliche to which i refer is one whereby it is assumed that a superbly beautiful actress whom we shall call laura lovely is ugly provided that she is wearing glasses this has happened over and over again laura lovely is a librarian or a school teacher the two feminine occupations, you can't say I'm doing air quotes, that by Hollywood convention guarantee spinsterhood and unhappiness. And naturally, she wears big tortoiseshell glasses, the most intellectual type, to indicate that fact. Now, to any functional male in the audience, the sight of Laura Lovely in glasses evokes a reaction in no way different than the sight of her without glasses. Yet, to the distorted view of the actor playing the hero of the film, Laura Lovely with glasses on is plain. At some point in the picture, a kindly female friend of Laura who knows the facts of life removes her glasses. It turns out suddenly that she can see perfectly well without them, and our hero falls passionately in love with the now beautiful Laura, and there is a perfectly glorious finale. If there is a person alive so obtuse as to not see that A, the presence of glasses in no way ruined Laura's looks and that our hero must be completely aware of that, and B, that if Laura were wearing glasses for any sensible reason, removing them would cause her to kiss the wrong male since she would probably be unable to tell one face from another without them. No. The glasses are not literally glasses. They are merely a symbol, a symbol of intelligence. The audience is taught two things. A, Evidence of extensive education is a social hindrance and causes unhappiness. And B, formal education is unnecessary. So I don't know if if I'll cut that out because it's kind of wordy, but... That was Isaac Asimov's take on the girl with glasses trope. I've always loved that man, but I just gained so much more respect for him for that. I know, right? That is such an unbelievably common trope. I keep going to keep using the same word over and over, trope. But I think this movie's kind of unique in that it flips it on its ear, Mm -hmm. and he is now the girl with glasses. One of the the principal examples of girl with glasses trope that comes to mind is Princess Diaries. Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to say She's All That, which is like the, in my opinion, like the classicist classic. Yeah. <laughs> classicist? Um, classicist. There's there's also Not Another Teen Movie, which is... Which pokes fun of that so well. And it's, it's so perfect. <laughs> oh, she's got pain on her overalls. Oh. <laughs> One thing that I did appreciate about this, though, is that he didn't really go through like a transformation. Like he... Yeah, he kind of did. He cut his hair. 
he cut he his got hair. better clothes and he got a new hat. Sure, but like he—that's the same as taking off glasses. Those are his glasses. <laughs> those are his glasses. But his character stayed the same. Even... So did hers. Oh yeah, I guess I suppose yeah. the girl with glasses never changed except for her glasses. Does she ever it... wear glasses? Well, th- but that's the thing. No, he's saying in other movies. Dora yeah, doesn't wear glasses, but Anne Hathaway did. Her character never changed. Mm, that's fair. I don't know. Okay, I, I take your That's point. That's the thing is your insides need to remain the same. Yes. You just need to become the beautiful swan from the ugly duckling. And you do that by removing glasses. Clark or, Kent syndrome. Or in his case, cutting your hair, getting a new hat, and changing your clothes. Yes. Yeah. I think the reason why I had pushed back on the rom-com is that a lot of times when I think of rom-com, I think of something that is... I mean, wholesome is probably the wrong word, but like I don't think of it as being as like... Raunchy is probably the wrong word too, but like... The three roommates in this movie, like it wasn't cutesy. Like they were, they were gross. They were predators, you know. And so that element, I think, was what kind of like sidelined me a little bit. But I mean, you're right. All the the, the anatomy is there. Yeah. No. I mean, there's definitely, I think, elements that are different, but the bones are strictly rom com. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And I again, a subjective view, you might be like, I don't know. But then you look at it, and you're like, oh, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing is, like, while I was watching it, it didn't feel like I was watching Fool's Russian. It didn't feel like I was watching Serendipity. I called that one out earlier. But it shares all of the same genetic markers of, of a rom-com. Yeah. One thing that deviated slightly is that her original sin was not truly a sin unto itself. Right. And that is something that is typically a little bit different. Usually, let's take She's All That, right? His original sin is he got involved with her because of a bet you know 10 things i hate about you he got involved with her because somebody paid him to mm-hmm. right like there was a reason why somebody discovers something later on that then you know nukes the relationship and then they have to repair it there was no she, nuking well she did nuke the relationship but it wasn't for like a a mean-spirited or poor decision it wasn't a true sin she was just making really poor life choices but they were her for her life it wasn't like she fucked up their relationship with a choice that affected their relationship she was kind of fucking up her own life and he was just sort of sidelined being like oh (laughs) that's that's not good (laughs) she was naive and it it played on a different rom-com trope like the the toxic other guy trope yes you know where like you spend half the movie like hating on greg kinnear because he's just a piece of shit and you can see that he's manipulating her um that is also i think a common trope where you hate the other guy. Um, I also think they did a great job with his sort of arc in that, like, maybe you guys feel differently. I felt like he was prickly, but actually a little charming in the beginning. And then his traits throughout the movie got more and more, like, aggressive and toxic and biting. And, like, I just don't feel like the volume of, like, really venomous comments and and interactions involving him were equally distributed throughout the movie. And I really appreciated that because it made me, as the viewer, kind of be like, oh, he's kind of a charming guy. He's witty. He makes funny little comments. And then they're like, oh, no, those comments are like, okay, they're actually actually a little bit mean. Wow, they're getting meaner. (laughs) And and then it's just, like, abuse. I'm so glad you brought that up, too, because at this time, Dora has been in a relationship with Alcott for an undetermined amount of time, and he refuses to call it a relationship. She's like, ha ha, okay. So then she starts spending time with Paul, a genuinely nice human being that cares for her well-being, that does things for her out of the kindness of his own heart without any expectation 
motivation for recompense. So she's experiencing human kindness and subconsciously comparing it to the way she's treated starts to notice the red flags start to pile up. Yeah, I like how he called out the red flags in the beginning where he's like, oh, he says this. But then he says he doesn't want to be in a relationship. It's like, oh, yeah, it's fine. And then, like, she says more. And he's like, but he says he doesn't want to be in a relationship, (laughs) you know? And then she's like, yeah. And he goes, okay. And just kind of leaves it there. But she can't make the forest for the trees. She couldn't see the red flags because all she saw was her ticket to happiness. It's funny. To your point, too, he doesn't explicitly say he's treating you this way. He's an asshole. You're right. She recognizes the red flags in response to being treated like well by Paul. So it's just simply by circumstances, she identifies how abusive the relationship she's in is. She just experiences the human kindness that he's showing and notices the red flags. The idea is that when you first meet Greg Kinnear's character, you don't put it all together. And, and that was that was what I was getting at too, was when you first meet Greg Kinnear, yeah, he's charming. He's also a little smarmy. You know, he's sarcastic, kind of an ass, but like in a funny way that's excusable. Mm-hmm. And then you realize that that's not a performance. Yeah. That's how he treats people. Well, because he starts off by, like, berating his class for not reading books. You know, yeah. you're like, oh, you know what? He's, he's and he a makes guy. a joke out like of it. cool kind of edgy professor. Yeah, and they all laugh so you know what happens all the time. Yeah. But then he treats the people in his private and personal relationships the exact same way. So you realize it's not a bit. He's just an ass. And then it goes even further because, oh, oh, he's not just an ass. He's a narcissist. Okay, so where we're at in the story, she is living with Paul for a couple of days. And in the meantime, Alcott has agreed to give all of the guys A's. He's been blackmailed into it. Yeah, in exchange for not going to the dean with the information that they have. Professor Alcott shows up. She goes with him. Then she gets wind that Paul was in on the exchange of goods, let's say, which Mm -hmm. was not true. And she kind of loses a little bit of respect for him and she gets treated worse and worse by Alcott starts rethinking some of her decisions but doesn't want to go back to Paul even though they were never truly together because she thought he was in on it and then Greg Kinnear unwittingly lets it slip that oh he was actually never in on it and he actually took the moral high ground and refused to take a given grade and she was like oh that's my guy and so she goes back and has to win him back and say, I, I'm sorry for my poor life decisions. Yep. Yeah. She brings him pizza and a movie. Well, yeah, because there was like a scene. It's like a circle around. This did kind of happen in quick succession. But like as Paul is becoming more and more enamored, she like agrees to stay the night with him so they can Netflix and chill, basically. The late I 90s, don't, 2000s equivalent I, of. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you're using that correctly, but. Well, I mean. I only say that in that like, I feel like Netflix and chill missed us by like. Like, you know, five, ten years. It's the and literal I, translation. No, but I thought, I thought like, Netflix... Uh, yes, it's the literal translation, but I think there's a connotation that, it like... It is not the we're, societal implication. We're definitely gonna fuck. And I feel like... Yeah, it might be what he's hoping for, but I feel like this is a little bit less of a done deal, where it's like... If somebody's like, hey, come over, Netflix and chill, I feel like the implication is, like, we gonna frick. Yep. Yeah, see, that, that totally missed me. I know that because of memes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was... Uh, no... I was... I think it started off as Netflix and people were like, oh, every time you say Netflix and chill, we're boning. Like, that's just what it's going to mean now. Yeah. 
And I was... I, was, I could be way off on this. I don't no, know. I, I, think, I think you're right. I'm not plugged into society. I was well and That's truly... That's how they get you. Uh, of the three of us, I was married the most recently, and I was well and truly married by the time Netflix and chill became lexicon for... I missed that boat, and I'm not sad about it. I guess more like a blockbuster and bust. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, he's like, I'm going to go get a movie and a pizza. So he brings back a movie, a pizza, and some flowers. And, and like, a six-pack of Mountain Dew. Oh, he is hammed, ready to go. And he walks in, and boop, there's Professor, Professor Alcott. Alcott. And that's that's when she like kind of leaves Paul for him in a, in a more physical sense. But anyway, going back to what started that, when she's trying to win him back, she gets the pizza, she gets the, um, the, the movie. She and... skipped the Mountain Dew, though. Yeah, what the fuck? Bitch. Bitch. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, bitch. <laughs> We've done that before, too. Yeah. I'm really hoping that we're not going to have to play Keen Peel royalties at any point. But I, I love Keen Peel. They are um, so funny. Okay, but uh, is he, does he go for it right then and there? I think he. Hook, line, and sinker. He yeah. almost does. So he, he's like, all right, uh, you can't just come in here and say these things. Mm. Looking all cute. Looking all cute and not mean it. And she's just kind of looking at him being coy and like. Oh my God, it's so hot. Oh, it and threw so she's me. so, uh, God, she's so I was hot. Like, I was like, you can't look at me that way. That's You're not, not allowed to be that no, hot. That's no, not fair. Nope. You can't just, you can't just do that. So she sets the pizza down and she looks at him and she's got like this this wry smile on her face and she just walks up real close and he's still on his little soapbox saying his words. He's you know? being pretty damn cute too. Uh, it's true. It's just the two of them. And like, just fuck you guys for being so that cute. And so she just leans in and gives him this quick little peck and he goes, the hell was that? She goes, a kiss? He goes, you call that a kiss? And then he took her to Bone Town. Yeah, he did. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, sexual relations is what I'm referring to, guys. Uh, that he did not have with that woman. And you then not, fucking roll credits. Like it's that scene and then it's done. Yep. Basically, which is like that's the way to end it, yeah. right? Like, no, it was perfect. Like Honestly, she, she fucking perfect. like left Alcott high and dry, went back to Paul and was like, "Hey, I'm sorry, I was a dum dum and didn't realize that like use a catch." She never like even breaks it off with. Uh, with Alcott outside of like their... What is there to break off? They don't have a relationship. That's Boom. Right. Boom. Logic. So, I know... Lawyered. I know we have like a whole <laughs> section for things that we don't like, but I think it's topical. Um, did you guys feel like his comment, like, oh, you call that a kiss, was out of character? Because up until that point, everything that he did was goofy it was like, I don't know what I'm doing. He's stumbling through it. He's always this way. It it was out of character, but it's a demonstration of the growth that his character has seen. He's no longer girl with glasses. He's now girl without glasses. I'm sexy and smoldering, and I'm not wearing glasses. And guess what? You're going to kiss right up on my face. Yep. You're going to put your mouth hole on my mouth hole. I'm- we are going to make one connected tube from butthole to butthole boom Ooh, with like pvc or no when you when you kiss that's what's what happens yeah you make one tube that starts with a butthole and ends in a butthole i've never really thought about it like that but i think that's next time correct. you, you were talking about ass to ass with a pvc pipe that's a that's technically <laughs> a, that's a mouth to mouth 
to it's more direct no right? is it yeah no, i mean it's if, the same you know, if the goal is to get butt stuff into butt stuff it's more direct but technically that would be a mouth-to-mouth tube i've never really thought about that so you which is funny because straw. by giving mouth-to-mouth you are connecting a butt-to-butt tube technically and by connecting butt-to-butt you are con- you are building a mouth-to-mouth what tube. we really need is a flexible tube that can go in the butts while you're kissing and then you form a it continuous a a circle, system. right? Circle of and, life. And circle of life. That's, you yeah. know, wow. I mean, it's basically a big wedding ring. Yeah. Wow. You know? Wow. Okay. It's a, it's, a, it's a symbol of commitment. PVC U-bend. You both sit on it and make out. I like it. I don't. Actually, this I don't. Is love, like it. guys. I don't, I don't like it <laughs> at We're all. describing love. Anyway, I take your point, And yes, that is like the, 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 the technical side of what happened there. But like, I personally felt like it was too fast i would say see this is the problem because i agree with both of you but i can't agree with both of you you can agree with me uh (laughs) (laughs) i would say i would say that it was a sudden change of character and if we had had 10 more minutes in the film they probably could have built it very easily to be believable but we didn't necessarily need it because it wrapped nicely. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm rethinking my statement, and I'm I'm gonna retract the the, the decibel level of what I had said. He we did have that scene where he like called out one of the jerks, punches him in the face. So I guess I guess we did have a couple of scenes where like he did also basically tell Alcott to fuck off. Okay, you know what? Maybe it does fit better than I felt like it did. Now, but I agree in the sense that it was a sudden change of character as a result of taking off the glasses. Right. So so we're just going to totally abandon the butt-to-butt PVC thing. No. For now. No, we're going to put it on abandoned. the back burner. The yeah. butt burner. The butt burner. Got it. Okay. Okay, butt- okay, okay. I just wanted to make sure that we're just, we're not leaving that one It's It's, it's on the butson burner. Got it. Yeah. Okay. You put it in the attic, you're not throwing it away. So... If we had another Actually, ten minutes in this movie, you put it in the basement. That's where it goes. If we had another ten minutes in this movie, like you suggested, we connect. We would we would have a full connection. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, for the PG thirteen rating, perhaps it's good that we didn't have another ten minutes. For my own satisfaction, perhaps we should have done fifteen minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so anything it. else we didn't like? I just I think we're gonna reverse it. What do you okay. think? Yeah. Stick with the didn't like, and then we'll go back to like because I got a lot of likes. Um, I'm gonna say it, and y'all are gonna fight me. Oh god, he doesn't like the cinematography. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that this time, I promise. <laughs> there were no sweeping no. vistas. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna save that for what I did like because I have thoughts. Um, <laughs> fuck you, fuck you, man. <laughs> Look, you fucked Kermit. He was the one making fun of you there. God damn it. Uh, uh, no, what I didn't like was the rampant use of rohypnol, or roofies, despite the fact that it was topical and relevant. And it was one of those, if this movie were made today... I don't think it could be. What? Seriously? Yeah. That particular part of the plot would ultimately have to be changed to something else. Seriously? Yeah. Yes. I, yeah, I think... It, They're a, the bad guys. Uh, agreed. Like, you can't You can't be like... You, well, you know, I like Schindler's List, but 
did there have to be so much Jew killing? Yeah. It's like different. It's like, this is different. Yeah, you, it, there so, does. They're the villains. Like, they're the bad guys. So look at the last five years in Hollywood. There are dozens of names of actors abusing women, specifically by drugging them. So if this movie were to be made today, given light of what's been happening in the last couple years of Hollywood, it would not be well received. But, like... It would reflect what, truth. What would you call, like, would you, would you call Bill Cosby a good guy or a bad guy? No, I, bad th- guy. I, think, I think the difference... A bad guy, right? Like, Here's he's the... the bad guy. Right, but... <laughs> the it... guys in this who were doing, like, the roofing were not the good guys. Oh, that, that's it not was, being It was, in fact, used to demonstrate how bad they actually were. Right, I, and, and I think I think that the nuance here, at least for me, and it sounds like maybe for you, Jackson, too, is that they were comedic bad guys in that, like, they were used as punchlines and not everything that they said was evil. Like, they were the... You know, these guys are shitheads, you know, kind of like, these are not guys you want to be. But I feel like the use of roofing somebody is seen as, like, just straight-up rape. Like, I don't feel like rapey is something that is, like, used to describe characters nowadays. I think that you go full, this person's a fucking rapist. And there's no comedy to that anymore. Well, and, and even if you think about the context of the word, even the lexicon has changed. Because at the time that this movie came out in 2000, it was referred to as the date rape drug. Date rape is not a thing. That When, when the raping starts, the date is over. <laughs> that wow. is that. Wow. Jackson is standing by that point. When the raping starts, the date is over. I mean, I I can endorse. That. I would I would agree with that statement. So it's not a date rape drug. It's just a rape drug. But I think to push back on your point, Mark. While I do think these characters were supposed to be kind of you know just they were chodes. They were just like yeah, real fucking shitty broy guys. I do think this movie stepped it up nicely to illustrate that point. To illustrate the severity, I don't think, like, the bad guys in She's All That, right? Or the bad guys in, I don't know, fucking 10 Things I Hate About You, whatever. Pick your, like, 90s teen rom-com. I don't think that those bad guys were cast as villainous, as wicked. I think these guys were genuinely, while they were punchlines, I agree with you, I think they were genuinely like cast and depicted as more evil and aggressive characters than are otherwise depicted in similar rom-coms of the yeah. time. And I, I think that is the reason I would say this stands the test of time. I don't think the movie was making light of, you know, no. the use of roofies or date rape or anything like that. And it I think they it were wasn't just... played to, the, to comedic effect either. No, you know, he I, was I'll... really fucking serious about it. He punched a guy out, you know, because of it. it. It was a very serious topic in this movie, and it was used to cast those characters as the villains that they were. I yeah, and I agree that it was it was used in a way that portrayed the villains as villains. My only thing is there were about fifty different mechanisms that could have been used to portray the same result and the result did not match up with the crime because i mean i don't know about you but if i found out that students in my university were distributing rohypnol at parties to get with girls they would immediately be kicked out of my university now in this movie the dean doesn't find out you know blah 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 
But I do like the, like the text at the end. They got what they, you know. Yeah. The, they the, all got what they deserve. The text at the end, everybody gets hosed except for our two protagonists. Um, but I don't know. I feel like they dialed it up to 11 with the Rohypnol and then just kind of left it there. And Okay. So I, maybe for me, it's it's such an egregious thing that it almost takes me out of the rom-com because I'm not having a good time when we're discussing or dealing with that subject. I do agree that like contextually it fits the time, it fits the the setting and the, and the culture, but it is so upsetting to me that it I can't have a good time with a movie um with that subject in the same way that like I have a very difficult time and this is for very different reasons very different reasons um A Clockwork Orange for example um uses rape as an element in the movie again contextually it it, it fits the narrative I'm not shitting on that but like I don't want to go back and rewatch that movie even though I think that it is a well-made movie just because I don't like those elements so much that I don't I don't really want to go there um, I'm agreeing with all of your points, and um, and 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 what I'm stating is is quite subjective. But I feel like yes, I think we could quibble about the severity of what they chose to villainize those characters. Mm-hmm. However, I do feel like there's an element of like, well, you know, I don't think Braveheart is a good movie because I don't like blood, and it's like, well, nobody likes blood. That's kind of the point. Is like. Battle is horrible. It's mm-hmm. not supposed to be fun to see somebody get their head chopped off. You know, like, it's not fun to see, you know, like in Braveheart, right? A bride gets taken away on her wedding night, you know? And it's like, that's kind of the point is you're not supposed to like it. It's supposed to be bad. These right. are the bad guys. It's the same reason that I had a very negative experience with Brawl and Cell Block 99. Right. It's like, that's kind of the point. It's like it was just bad thing personal to me that I had a visceral reaction right, to like it. Bad Therefore, things, I don't really want to revisit that. Bad things exist in the world oftentimes due to bad people doing bad things. And the presence of those things in movies doesn't make them bad movies. It makes them a movie that is using a bad element in the real world as a way to show that a character is demented, is villainous, is aggressive, or or holds certain character traits that are not to be lauded, but, right. but to set their place in the narrative. Yeah. So anyway, that's what I didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I can't eat pizza. And that's why I can't eat any pizza. Yeah. Uh, I, d- what, what did we like about this movie? Uh, I, I enjoyed a lot of elements of this movie. I think the thing that I enjoyed the most was the fucking soundtrack. Oh my god, oh, dude, I was so... I was quietly singing along with every song. Soundtrack's oh, so good. Every song, even if, if it's like the main song of a scene or if it's just a background song, like uh it was it was amazing. Ugh. The soundtrack's amazing. Dude, it was so good. All all of those songs are in my regular uh rotation on Spotify. I really enjoyed the uh, like the simplicity of it. In that, like, I, I'm just, I keep defeating my points that I didn't feel like this was a rom-com. <laughs> it, I, I knew the beats of the movie, you know, within the first 15 minutes. Yeah. And there was that, that comfort that you get with a rom-com. So, mm-hmm. whatever, fuck, it's a rom-com. Um, <laughs> you know, um, Welcome to our side. Yeah, that's something that I that I really enjoyed. Uh, one thing that I enjoyed was the cinematography. 
you know that that scene that scene with uh with Alcott and and Dora when they're in the, the in the store yeah you know he and I, I'm sure I'm like overthinking this uh, but like no it's exactly what you're it's gonna exactly say. what you're gonna say yeah he moves the mirror you know like it's like his attention like a triptych like, mirror like he doesn't care about who she nope. is nope he get he moves, moves the mirror to get a better look at himself yeah and then when he moves it back she's no longer in frame and he like he doesn't even notice yep it's no re- it's really was, clever that was stellar that was the 10 out of 10 of the the shots that i enjoyed in this movie because at the beginning of this scene he's having a conversation with her and she is solely a reflection in the mirror so he's having a conversation with her, and you see her in the mirror. He turns the mirror to get a better look at himself, and he puts the mirror back, and she's gone. And uh, like you said, he didn't notice. Um, there were several shots that I greatly enjoyed, and one of them in particular they used several times, which was the shot of the outside of, for lack of a better term, his apartment, which was the veterinary clinic. When you first see the shot, it is this basement, right? It is just a New York City basement where he lives. Good in shot. New York. Yes. Less common in Omaha. Yeah, you wouldn't see a New York City basement in Omaha, Nebraska. Not so much. No. Um, so in the second shot, it's the exact same camera angle, but with Christmas lights up. And then the third shot, the exact same camera angle, same Christmas lights, bunch of empty beer bottles. And then the last time is the exact same camera shot but with different decorations. And I loved that they just kept reusing that exact same angle and that exact same shot to let you know that time had passed. Another shot that I greatly enjoyed was in Professor Alcott's classroom during the lecture when we first see Jason Biggs absolutely eat shit on the steps. It is from Alcott's perspective. So he's standing in front of his table addressing his classroom and you see the entire classroom and then you see Paul just biff it on the steps and you get to watch him go like three quarters of the way down the staircase and then he just pops up. But were there a lot of clever, creative shots? No. Were there... <laughs> no. Were there a bunch of... You just listed some creative shots. Yeah, I... I okay, a couple of creative shots. <laughs> but not a few. Not, not, not a bunch. Not quite enough to be a few. Not a bunch. There were I did few, like that there were... Bunch. One thing that I had never noticed before that Mark actually noticed was that in one of the montage sequences, at one point, Paul has the hat with flaps. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Those of you in the Midwest know what I'm talking about, right? If you or if you're a Canadian listener, you know what I'm talking about. That the hat with flaps. I've got one. We've all got one. He's got one of those on perpetually. And at one point, again, in the vein of him taking off his proverbial glasses, he gets a new hat from Lost and Found with Dora. And then he says, Oh, should I leave this old one here? And she goes, No, leave it in the park for a homeless person. Well, during a montage later in the film, a homeless person comes up to him and does something, says something, and... Is wearing is, his hat. Is wearing his flappy hat. It is a delightful scene that I totally missed in the dozens of times I've seen this movie. But that's that's something... The cinematography basically checked all my boxes at least once. I got my scenic overlooks, especially of Central Park and the big arch there. I got my Sorkin-speak walk-and-talks. I got my forced perspective, and I got my creative camera angles. So, I'm happy. All right. Jackson's got boxes. 
These come with boxes, Mark. And these boxes done got checked. Yeah. These boxes were made for walking, and that's just what they'll do. Walking, talking. But one of these days. These boxes are gonna... Like it broken down and thrown in the waste. Recycling, probably. Or in my yeah. case, they'll get emptied, folded up, and stacked in my basement for further use. Well, yeah, if you're gonna move later, sure. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, that's what walking boxes are for. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they're good boxes. You can't just throw them out. They're good boxes, Bront. What else? Uh, what else we like about this? Um, I already mentioned this, but I love the writing and directing. It was so seamless. It was very clear that the person who wrote this movie had a vision of how it was going to look on screen, and because that person just happened to also be the director, she was able to make it as such. I don't know. This movie felt very tight to me. She had full creative control over the entire project from start to finish. The, the movie felt very, very tight. Um, maybe in light of recent discussions, I don't know if I should mention this, but like, my thought is that this movie is perfectly charming. <laughs> it's a very charming movie. Honestly, it is. <laughs> if you it look is. at it from a casual perspective, if, if the casual observer is watching this movie, they're going to have a really good time. It's a romp. It's very fun. It's, and you're right. It's charming. If you're looking at it through a critical lens like we do, you're going to find things to nitpick. You're going to find things that are inconsistent. You're going to find things that are offensive. Speaking of inconsistencies, one of the things that I did not like that I forgot to mention was like, this is the longest semester in the history of college. Yes. (laughs) Oh my God. Fuck. So when he came into Alcott's class... And he fell down the stairs and all that shit. Presumably, that was his first day of class. Yeah. But later, she mentions that they've been together all semester, which suggests that perhaps that wasn't his first day of class, and that was just the first day he ended up next to her. Meanwhile, I mean, things are happening, and they're referencing things that seem like they've taken weeks, but maybe they've taken days, and it's just, it is such a fucking long time. Yeah. I cannot believe how much gets crammed into this fucking semester. Also, kind of in that vein, not something I disliked, but something that stuck out to me as a person who first watched this movie in 2000 when it came out. This movie stressed me out so much when it came to undergrad. I thought college was going to be fucking hell. I was like, how am I ever going to be able to stay up until 4 a.m. every day studying only to get up at 6 for classes? Yeah. And I just, I had this very, very stressful and myopic view of university life, largely due to this movie. (laughs) 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 Anything else we liked or didn't like? I pretty much liked all of this movie. I think I liked all of it. I I really enjoyed, like, the the 90s. Last time we talked about how The Last Starfighter had that 80s nostalgia Mm -hmm. this was squarely 90s so 90s the clothes the music the food the pop culture references everything screamed to me about my childhood yeah like everything that i experienced growing up i feel like there's that like sort of we tend to go 80s 90s 2000s whatever i feel like we talk about those things but when we talk about those things we have a tendency to talk about the things that were backloaded towards the end of the decade yes like when we talk about the 80s we seldom mean 1981 right typically we mean 1984 to 1989 mm-hmm. similarly with the 1990s we typically mean 1994 like to 1999 and 2000 and you know people talk like the 90s extended maybe into like 2005 yep you know and it's like this movie the 90s was a very long decade. It was a long decade. It was, for being 10 years, it was damn near 15 years. 
like and it, like it, this movie just like fucking had that '90s vibe, even though it technically came out in 2000. Well, I, I would say that the '90s died when the iPhone came out. It was like 2007. Like that's Ooh. when like everything, for me at least, if we're if we're just talking about tone this. shift. Honestly, yeah. you're right. I never thought about it though, because like when I think '90s, I think MP3 players or Discmans or Walkmans, right? Walkmans were on their way out. Discmans were hot. But the thing about the Discman, the reason why they could make the Discman a thing was because, you know, it could actually fit in a pair of Jinko jeans. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or in a pair of trip pants. And then yes. the MP3 players, we had the Zunes. We had... The uh, iPod. The, and that was it. The iPod was, mm-hmm. like, the hot thing. And then the iPhone happened... And you're right. That's when. That's the day the music died. I also feel like maybe it was the same day. I don't. I don't know. Maybe it was like everybody collectively did this, but like people just stopped wearing silver synthetic clothing. I didn't. Just one day they just stopped, and I no longer saw that and like Oakley's over the top. Mm. Google it if you don't know what I'm talking about. Google I, Oakley's over the top. I was defiant until like 2010. So you didn't start wearing silver clothing. Until 2010. No, 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 no. I started (laughs) wearing silver clothing when everybody else stopped. And I was like, yes, I alone will keep this alive. I think that's called being a hipster. You know, I I hated that for the longest time. And you know who hates being called hipsters? Hipsters. Yeah. Are you saying you've gone full hipster? He's so hipster that he... Hates that he's a hipster? Hates that he is a hipster. Whoa, this is getting meta. Which is another thing that hipsters say. I have come to embrace it to my reticence and reluctance. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Are we ready to move on to quotes? I, I am. Yeah, let's do it. All right. I know I have fewer than, uh, than maybe others. I don't know. All right, this first one, if you guys don't mind me jumping in. Go for it. Oh, my God. I'm minding. Oh, all right. Why don't you write a letter about it? <coughs> I'll... <laughs> Probably not read it. He's gonna, oh! He's going to call me a loser. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it never ceases to amaze me. A random I sound? that was a bonobo. <laughs> okay, so this is a scene where Paul is getting to know his new roommates, the shitheads, and one of them is, is trying to help him out. You know, so he uh, he walks into the room that Paul's trying to like study in, while everyone else is like throwing back Zabruskis. Um <laughs> and he, some sort of unintelligible drinking game. Th- yeah, my favorite part about that is that when Casanova Frankenstein actually said Zabruskis, he was talking to the gang known as the Frat Boys. Zabruskis. <laughs> 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 oh my god, I just watched that movie. Like, did you rewatch it? I brought it to the theater and watched it on the big screen. So See, I just good. watched the entirety of this Spy Kids franchise the other day. Okay, so asshole kid number two. One. One. one? He was one? definitely number yeah. one. Walks in, says, hey, I gotta tell you something. He, like, takes a chair and, like, flips it around and sits in it like a douchebag. Um, <laughs> As one does. As one does. I'm gonna tell you something. It's for your own good. Nobody likes you. <laughs> and, like, he's, like, he's genuinely there. He's, like, he f- somehow feels like... If I, if I tell him that everyone hates him, it's going to somehow... Make him cool. Yeah. Make him not... Make us not not like him. It's going to open the door to a world of possibility. It is weird in that, like, he's genuinely trying to help, but he's trying to help in the selfish, scum-of-the-earth kind of way. Mm-hmm. Like, 
I'll he like you, does think you. he's helping, but his way of helping is don't be who you are, being an asshole. Yeah. Like just be not you. He literally says that. Be not you. Yep. And we'll like you. Yeah. Ah, oh, good. But good until stuff. that time, we will not. Yeah. Um, I've got another asshole comment. Uh, this is from Professor Alcott. Um, and let's see. This is when Dora is now living with or staying with Alcott and it's like this weird scene where like they're both wearing like these really I don't know she's she's wearing something that's very uncharacteristic you know for the entire movie she very was matronly wearing, yeah she's wearing like blacks and she's wearing heavy eyeliner and like in all this in this scene she's wearing something like knitted and it's like light gray and she's not wearing heavy makeup it was interesting but she starts asking him questions. I forget what she was talking to him about, but she gets excited about something. Or she gets excited about the fact that she's perfectly happy where she is just mending an article of clothing. And she's like, isn't this perfectly pleasant? I'm so happy to be here with you. We are having so much fun. What ended up making you change your mind about us being together and living in the same place? And Alcott responds with, um, you know, I was just thinking about how beautiful you were when you were silent. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> that is the most horrific thing. I think all three of us had a visceral reaction. When I we was first honestly, heard that line. I'd, I'd seen this movie so many times that, like, I was getting, like, I, I was just loving watching their reactions <laughs> to, again, we talked about how Alcott started off in that sort of, like, charming in a dickish kind of way. Yeah. And then the charming waned and the dickish waxed heavily. And by the end, he was like full on fucking aggressively manipulative and this term has a tendency to get thrown around a lot today but like the term gaslighting I feel like if you're looking for a genuinely good example, this movie is a great resource to turn to because Greg Kinnear's character is a good example of gaslighting and, like, emotional manipulation and abuse. Big time. Again, people love to sort of throw that around. Like, I saw, saw a meme, like, the other day that was just like, it is okay for a relationship to just end and for two people to not be compatible. It does not have to be that one was abusing the other or manipulating or gaslighting. People can just go their separate ways, and never the twain shall meet. In this particular case, this is a good example of, like, a situation where it's like, no, this was genuinely abusive and manipulative and yeah, <laughs> problematic. Yeah. All right, so what do you guys got? Well, I had four of them. So the four Children? Th- yes. My lanta. Yes. Oh, my lanta. <laughs> I, keep them, I keep them in the basement, and they are the reason that all of my clothes fit. But each of them have a different basement. Yes. You have a four-story deep basement. I have a one basement with three (laughs) sub-basements. Mark is doing the math on this. (laughs) And it's not looking good that we'll come to a proof. (laughs) I'm trying to think of the mutual... This is totally unrelated. (laughs) Who who the mutual person was that used to say that all the time? Was it Caitlin? What? Oh, my Lanta. Yeah, it was Caitlin. Yes, yes. So, So in the very beginning of the movie, he's having a conversation with his dad before he goes off to college and, like, before he embarks on this big journey. And he's wanting to know how his dad was able to make friends and, like, talk to people. And he says, you want to know how to make friends? I learned this in the service. Interested is interesting. That's such a good line. And I was like, such a, like, Honestly, that's something that, like, has actually stuck out in my mind, like, in, you know, normal, everyday conversations. Like, interested is interesting. It was like, yeah, okay. And this movie came out 23 years ago, and that piece of advice is something that every single person 
can keep in the back of their mind for their regular use and be like, yeah, if you want to make a connection with someone, just genuinely listen to what they have to say. Make eye contact. Make eye contact. Maybe comment on something and they will instantly feel a connection. I thought that was profound. And from an actor like Dan Aykroyd, who's renowned for being a goofball, to play this very insightful character. Very minor character, too. Yeah, very minor. He very has minor. Like, he has like five lines in the entire movie, but like they're all important. It's one of those he doesn't speak often, but so that when he does, it's very worth listening to. He was also in the Indiana Jones franchise. Yes, he was. Um, another that I had, so asshole number one, he's in that same scene where he's like, nobody likes you. And he says, you know, one thing that you never do, like you never bring a sixer or like anything to contribute. And Paul goes, what's a sixer? Asshole says, uh, a six pack. Oh, beer. (laughs) Check. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, quote number three is from asshole number three when they install a security checkpoint at the university to check for drugs and alcohol coming onto the campus. And he says, you know, our parents pay a lot of money for us to enjoy our college experience. (laughs) Right after professing that he's going to call his father's lawyer. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) When I call my father's lawyer, do you have any idea who my father is? Yuck. My skin crawled just saying that out loud. My last quote is from Paul when he discovers that the unconscious woman lying face down on the top of the toilet is actually Dora, who he thought had stood him up all night. And he says, all right, Dora, come on, wake up. I don't believe in sleeping together on the first date, especially when you didn't show up for it. (laughs) It's it's very witty. (laughs) Okay, so mine um, are all kind of long quotes today. But I just, they're so fucking good. Because, like, one of the things that I think is a strength this of this movie. This was a surprisingly quotable movie. Quotable yeah. and, like, it's a dialogue-based quotes. It's, yeah. not all, they're, it's not all quips, right? No. Like, a lot of mine are really long because they're kind of, like, just popping out of the dialogue. Okay, so this first one came from the interaction between Paul, Jason Biggs' character, and David Spade, who was the counter guy at... The clerk vid- at the video store. At a video rental store. Paul brings up two movies... And he puts him down, and it's like, when Harry met Sally and the piano. And he's, I guess I'll give the full thing. He goes, oh, when Harry met Sally. Uh, And he's like, what, not good? And he goes, can you maintain a rod while looking at Billy Crystal? And he's like, no. He's like, don't worry, man, nobody can. And he goes, (laughs) and the piano, um, full frontal on Harvey Keitel there. And he's like, oh, is that bad? He's like, yeah, that dude's 90% wiener. And he goes, really? And he's like, yeah, even on the small screen, that's going to hurt you. Here's your winner. Simon Burtz, it's about a little goofy kid with problems. Works every time. He goes, really, that works? He's like, yeah, it works for me. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder how many times that conversation has happened. So good. You know what? Honestly, I never ended up working at a video rental store, but that was one of my, like, dream jobs. I still fantasize about opening a video rental store. And I used to hang out in Blockbuster so much, and I'm not joking, that every employee knew my name knew who I was, let me behind the counter, and I would sit there and talk to people, like patrons, about movies and what movies they should rent. I actually 
maybe or maybe not just had a taste of this in the Canton Public Library recently, where an older gentleman who had sort of fallen out from movies for a little while and was less familiar with them was standing there and I sort of took him through some movies and handed him like half a dozen movies and I was like, check these out, you'll love them. I guess it's not surprising that, like, three dudes who, like, started a movie podcast about what movies you should watch like to do that, but... I honestly... <clears throat> shouldn't like, surprise you, but... Movies came, movies come up in almost every conversation that I have with people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so good. I love... David Spade's recommendation, perfect. Okay, so this uh, next one comes from an interaction when they were doing Sork and Speak, walking down the streets of New York. It was Dora and Paul, Mina Savari and Jason Biggs. And Mina Savari is giving this sort of bitter rant. And she goes, not having money isn't ennobling. It makes you mean. And he goes, oh, yeah, that's why all the really nice people are rich. (laughs) Fucking awesome. (laughs) Like, what an amazingly witty response to something that, like, on the surface kind of seems legitimate, right? Like, see her point. You You can can see see where somebody would get bitter and angry about being poor. People do. Like, but, but being poor doesn't make you mean... In the same way that being rich doesn't make you nice. Right. <laughs> and then, okay, so uh, the next one comes from asshole number one. He's trying to get Paul to let them party at his new place. And this is when he's basically trying to trick him into thinking that them kicking him out of the dorm was the plan all along uh, in order to do this. He slips his girlfriend's panties into Paul, Jason Biggs's wash, because uh, he's talking to him at a, an automat. Not an automat. Laundromat. A laundromat an automat what is this, 1956 <laughs> um and he goes paul are you hitting my bitch to which jason biggs who has never been confronted this way in his entire life goes no no i no i i am not hitting your bitch i have never hit your bitch nor would i ever hit your bitch <laughs> you hit my bitch to which the guy busts out laughing and you know tells him he's just yanking his chain taking the piss okay so the last one jason biggs right before actually he goes to the laundromat at one point says to mina savari we can wear my very cool wash day clothes and he pulls out this pair of pants that has underwear attached and exposed about six inches above the waistline and this is not underwear and pants this is underwear attached to pants just as like a Basically like a, what would you call it? Uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it's uh, sewn a in. A ring above the waist of the pants? It's well, Yeah, it's, it's sort of like torn jeans in that like torn jeans are meant to look like unintentional, but like here yeah, they are. Yes, but what would you call it? Like if you had to call it something that... Like, it, I mean, they're, they're, they're saggy pants. They're saggy like jeans. an extension. Yeah. It's like a pants extension, but instead of going down, they go up. Mm. So he goes, what are these? And he goes, oh yeah. Mid-90s hip-hop for the heartland. See, my mother was trying to help me be more cool, and in order to do so, she took me to Sears, where they took the guesswork out of exposing underpants. So instead (laughs) of people in the heartland putting on boxer shorts and then jeans... And choosing and them ride down. Choosing the correct amount of underwear exposure that would be cool. Sears took 32% of a pair of boxers, the top part of the boxers, sewed them to the top of the jeans so you would never be curious or, or incorrect in the amount of underwear exposure. Now, here's my question. You are giving. On that pair of pants, obviously they are not meant to be worn with a belt. But are the belt loops functional? Oh, I would imagine they're functional. I'd like to think that the person wearing those pants is also wearing a pair of briefs. Probably. Like standard <laughs> yes. white yes. briefs. Yes, just like normal ass, like, like Walter like White tidy whiteies. Hanes yeah. tidy whiteies 
with the cotton boxers pulled up over them. The 30% yeah, of the, the cotton, 30% boxer, cotton boxers. boxers. I, I don't think there's any boxers below the waistline of the pants. You know, I think... No, that's what I'm point. saying. It's sewed right yeah. into the top of the jeans. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe the boxers are the belt, and there's like probably a false <laughs> inseam on the inside of the pant. You know, so there's the true inseam, and then there's the false inseam that hangs down because the jeans oh, yes. are meant to be saggy. Yeah, oh, like a suit jacket pocket. Yeah, yeah, a little banana hammock for yep. you. Yep, okay. just to give you the support that you need. Yep, but also give the illusion of mm-hmm. saggy bottoms. Ooh, very attractive. Saggy bottoms, new band name I call it. Saggy Bottoms. The Saggy Bottom Boys? Yeah, Saggy Bottom Boys. The Saggy Bottom Boys. All right. Bunch of 50-year-old guys doing a revival of 90s hip-hop. Are we learning? I believe we are learning. Are we ready for ratings? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Let's, let's, riggedy raggedy rate. Um, go ahead. All right. I will give this one a 6.1 leaky waterbeds. 6.1 leaky water bits. I got it there. I got, I got <laughs> you there. I got you there. 6.1. Yep, yep. That's 6.1. Uh, I, I don't care who wrote it. It's funny right there. It's funny right there. Yeah. I am going to give this movie a 6.4 flappy hats. Mm, yeah. I was between. Well, I'll let Mark go and I'll tell you what I was between. Besides a rock and a hard place? I'm, all, I'm always between there. The hard place is my favorite. If it wasn't between the rock and the hard place, I wouldn't have a home. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with uh, a six point nine kitten wet sacks. I don't know what the uh, the correct term is here. Amniotic sacks. Uh, amniotic, amniotic kitten sacks. Sex? How about that? Amniotic kitten sacks. I learned something today. Not to be confused with amniotic kitten sex. That is a very different thing <laughs> that you just said with your, wor- with your mouth words. That's a band name. Amniotic, amniotic kitten, kitten sex. sex. Amniotic. Yes, you are. Yes, yeah. you are correct. It could be grunge. But yeah, no, I, I didn't. No, they are thrash metal. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> there is no grunge in that. That is that One is pure. aggressive. And angry. <laughs> One could make an argument for speed metal, but I think thrash metal is appropriate. Mm-hmm. You just see, I didn't know that kittens were birthed in bags. Not yep. all. Well, not all of them. Some of them. This is not like a universal thing. I mean, I so all babies of mammals are in an amniotic sac, but none of them come out in like a Ziploc bag. That's because they're you can't w- say none of them. Some of them do, and that's what you learn. That's because they're <laughs> water breaks. No, this is that's, all cats. That's the amniotic <laughs> sac breaking. This is all sex. It's all sex. It's all sex. Oh, is that the third band? <laughs> Did we just hit the three bands right in a row? It's all sex. But that's definitely a ska band. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh shit! All it's sax with the. <laughs> Yeah. With the X, yeah, S-A-X, yeah, it's all sax. Yep. Um, okay, so we done rated this bee's natch. What other kind of rating could we uh, potentially throw at this? Mm. Uh, could we give it a scene score? Scene score. Mark went baritone on us there. <laughs> Uh, let's yeah. see, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. Okay, but we into it. Okay. Well, this was a tight grouping today. Uh, six on six, our four, on six, our nine. scores. Six, yeah. One, six four six nine. Six one six four six nine. So they say. Mm-hmm. So our average rating was six point five. Wow. Right. Yeah. In there. I mean, yeah. you know, that was that was tight. Uh, wait, what was the other movie where we all had really tight scores? Ooh, I'd have Shit. to look It was a drama. Up. I can't remember, but but this might rival that. Okay, was so it Victoria and Abdul. 
No, I think it was before that. But for our scene score, we had a good response rate this time. Thank you, all of you who responded and contributed to the scene score. Our average familiarity was 1.5 out of 10. Wow. Not good. I am so fucking shocked at that. I mean, it's just this was a kind of a higher profile movie. I mean, it wasn't like Mystery Men, but it was, you know, not obscure. See, and the thing is, I was nine when this movie came out, so I missed the pre-adolescent boat per se and then i think the hype had died by the time i hit that margin fair enough fair enough uh so i would say that a lot of folks that are in their late 20s early 30s would have missed this movie entirely so our 6.5 combined with the low familiarity puts this movie at a solid 7.5 nice for the scene score I would agree with that. Yeah. I think this movie deserves more renown. I'll definitely be talking about it now. Right. Like, people are going to hopefully know about this movie now. Less than a little. Like, wide open. I mean, with our listenership, I mean, we we are literally exposing this movie to, like, tens of people. Mm-hmm. True facts. Yeah, I mean, kind of a big deal. 7.5 out of 10. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking go see Loser. It's awesome. Don't be a loser. Go watch Loser. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Jackson, Mark and I have been talking, and, um, look, we're saying this just for your own good. Uh, nobody likes you. That's probably accurate. Just be less like you. I'll work on it. And then we'll like you. Yeah, I'll work on it. Yeah, I mean, if, uh, if you ever, you know, need somebody to talk to, you know, if you've got some things on your, in your heart, on your mind, you know who to go to. Somebody else? Somebody else. Yeah. Just, just bottle them up. Yeah. Just right inside where they can do no harm. Turn it off. <laughs> like a line switch, just go click uh okay so that is all i think for the yeah. old crap review thank you for listening if you have any ideas for what movies are similar to the movies that we've reviewed please let us know and we'll read those recommendations out loud in future episodes that way people can kind of gain a web of movies that are similar that they enjoyed yeah if you like this movie we'll give you some options that you would also like yeah if you want to get involved and contribute to the scene score and get a peek at upcoming movies by taking our short weekly ish movie familiarity survey email us at three that is the number three men and a basement at gmail.com alternatively you can go to our website t-m-a-a-b which stands for three men and a basement dot podbean.com please be sure to check out the saggy bottom boys they smell but the music's pretty good yeah also on that tour i believe is amniotic kitten sex they also smell but very differently wow the smell is it's pungent i mean it's it's wet but it'll keep you dry. Yeah. It will. I mean, we were eating pudding, and let's just say that amniotic kitten sex sounds a little like... It's true. Put that away. I'm not happy about that. I'm just... State, it's a fact. Stating the facts. And speaking of that, it's all sex. It's all sex. It's all sex. They're they're bringing up the rear. Thank God. Well, yeah, anyway, it's just like cigars and trumpets for me. Yep. They're all on tour now. So, uh, yeah, you can also find us, the three men, the Ultra Crepidarians, on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And until then, I'm Colin McLeod. Mark Hope. Action Jackson. And uh, we'll see you in cyberspace. (laughs) (laughs) 